0: actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by General Assembly's NYC campus. GA empowers individuals to pursue the work they love by offering courses in coding, design, digital marketing, data analytics, and so much more. Head to ga.co/slash classes and get 30% off your first class with code BOSSTUP. Hello and welcome to Bossed Up the Podcast, episode 32. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And in honor of the forthcoming 4th of July, Independence Day, the whole month of July, we are getting a little patriotic on the pod. month long, we're going to be focused on women in the public sector and women who are crafting careers with impact. We'll be hosting webinars about it. We'll be posting new blog posts about it. And of course, I'll be recording lots of podcasts about creating careers in the public sector. So if that's all up your alley, make sure you're an email insider at bossedup.org right now so you won't miss any of it. And there's good reason to be so excited about women in The public sector this year, this year could change the game with a tidal wave of women running for the highest elected offices in the country, more than ever before. At last count, according to Politico, at least 575 women had declared their candidacy for the U.S. House, Senate, or governor's races across the country. So, this is a really exciting time for my favorite intersections of feminism, and career strategy, and my background in politics and campaigns to all merge together. This month here on Bossed Up, I get to geek out about all of my favorite things. So today's episode, we're kicking things off in the way we like to here at Bossed Up, which is to keep it super real. Public life and pursuing a career in the public sector ain't easy, And part of the reason why being a public servant can be so challenging and is really warranting of the title is because when you make an error, when you make a misstep, and you are in public office or in a public sector position, those stumbles are pretty public, right? Unlike the private sector, where maybe you put your foot in your mouth in a meeting at work, or you bomb a presentation, or you just mess up a big client project one time, That stuff ain't on the headlines of the nightly local news the next day. Whereas in public office or when striving for these highest positions of power in our country, that glory takes guts, right? Because stumbling along the way, which as we like to say here at Bossed Up, failures are inevitable on the road to success. Those failures in the public sector are just a little more uh, public, So I want to give major credit, major courage points to all the badass women who are pursuing public office, who are pursuing careers with major impact, because making missteps along the way is especially challenging because pursuing a career in public life comes with the possibility of public failure. Today's guest knows a thing or two about those risks, so I asked her to weigh in on a question that came in via the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook. That's our online accountability group, which if you haven't joined already, hit up the links in the show notes or go to bossedup.org to sign up for it because it has been called the best place on Facebook and you don't want to miss out on that. And in today's episode, we're going to dive right into that interview, but you'll hear me bring up the listener career conundrum that was posted in the Courage community just a few minutes in, which we'll get to right after this quick break. Do you ever find like listening to the news really bums you out? Listen, I am all for being a well-informed boss lady, but sometimes you just want to hear some good news for a change which seems like it's hard to come by these days. Luckily, the Newsworthy podcast is here to help by covering all the day's news in less than 10 minutes with an actually upbeat personality brought by host Erica Mandy. Check out and subscribe to the Newsworthy wherever you get your podcasts. So without further ado, my special guest for today's podcast episode is Emily Kane, the executive director of Emily's List, a PAC focused on electing Democratic pro-choice women to office. She got her start in politics at an early age, first elected as a state representative in Maine at the age of 24. She went on to run for Congress twice and lost twice with very close margins. Those losses, however challenging they may be, are part of what led her into stepping into this huge national role with Emily's List, a self-described dream job of hers, where she's had a major impact in close races across the country, where she helps recruit and train candidates in tight elections from coast to coast, and where she's had the chance to continue pursuing an impact-oriented career. Emily, welcome to the Bossed Up podcast.
1: I am thrilled to be here. I mean, it seems like every week this year is election week for us at Emily's List with so many women running across the country in important primaries. But I'm thrilled to have the chance to talk with you um, and to connect with your audience to hopefully maybe inspire some of them to even run for
0: office. I would love that. So as many of them may or may not know, I got my start. My career really started in the world of politics and campaigns and elections. And you have built a long career in the legislative body in Maine, but also running for office yourself. Can you tell me a little bit about your electoral experience that led you to the executive director position you're in?
1: Absolutely. So, I never set out to be in politics. I am passionate about education, about the arts and music in particular, and followed that passion to get a degree in music education from the University of Maine. Um, There, I really discovered a passion for higher education, looking at my own experience and the challenges my friends faced with college affordability graduating within four years, jobs being available or not available afterward, crushing student debt for many people that I know and love. And I, I followed that passion to want to work in higher education. And it was while I was working uh, to earn my master's degree that I began to connect the dots. At
0: a little school known as Harvard University. I was at the yeah. Harvard
1: Graduate School of Education, yeah. And it was there that I began to connect the dots, these things I cared about, like student loan debt and college affordability and quality support for public higher education kept leading me back to the same place, which is elected bodies where people make decisions, a lot of which I thought were really dumb. And I was like, geez, I need to work in public policy. And so I did what I thought the right thing was to do. I went to May of 2004, reached out to my this local state senator a woman named Mary Cathcart and I I talked with she and her husband Jim at a Kentucky Derby party you never know note to listeners you never know where your best networking opportunity will be for me it was at a Kentucky Derby party and I said Mary would you please look at my resume I would love to work in public policy I would love to work at the state house in Maine and Jim her husband said to me hey Emily have you ever thought about running for office To which I said, no, no, I mean, I maybe I mean, in my back of my head, I was thinking, oh, geez, I just want to give Mary my resume. And this guy's asking me if I want to run for office. And I'm like, that's, you know, I'm kind of trying to change the subject. And Jim says, Mary, I think we have found our candidate. And I had no idea at the time, but my local state legislative race would be open. So longer story shorter, May, I was asked to run. Uh, I will say I did the most stereotypical thing a woman does when she's asked to run for office, which is I responded by email a few days later saying, I'm sure you're talking to a lot of qualified people. Let me know how I can help. Now I would say to myself, get over yourself. Just say yes, of course. Uh, But I didn't know that then. So May, I got asked to run. I said yes. Uh, June 10th, I finished my master's degree. July 1st, I started a job at the University of Maine. July 6th, I became a candidate, started knocking on doors that weekend, got married August 15th, and I got elected November 2nd in 2004. And I had never been to the statehouse before in my life. So I had to look up the directions to get there for my orientation. Wow. And that was the first time I ever went to the statehouse. And so for me, You know, I I got here because I cared about something enough to want to do something about it, working in public policy. I got to politics because I saw that that was where decisions are being made that I didn't like, that I could do better. Right. And then I ended up serving 10 years, five terms in the state legislature. I ran for Congress and nearly won uh, in 2014, ran again in 2016 and again, came pretty darn close uh, and lost. And then here I am after a few months later, uh, a, few, a year or so later, at Emily's List. And it's the best story and the best career that I've never knew would be available to me. Yeah. It's, a, it's a path I didn't know was there. And That I discovered and I have really owned every step of the way.
0: I love that because it's nice to know that if you follow the issues, if you follow the impact that you really want to have in this world, you can create a career focused on having an impact, not knowing exactly what your next steps are going to be and not being able to predict your, your career arc in some ways is something that's more and more common.
1: I put it this way. And I believe this, and people who have heard me talk before have definitely heard me say this, which is I believe firmly if you wake up in the morning caring about something, enough, anything, it could be the quality of water, it could be your kids, it could be the cost of healthcare, it could be animals, it could be schools, it could be businesses, it could be jobs, it could be anything, air you breathe. If you wake up in the morning caring about something, then you are qualified to run for office. Yeah. And I think that's something to get, you know, to this issue of of women and careers that we see at EMILY's List a lot and that I certainly experienced myself was this sense of, you know, did I have the right resume to run for office? Right. And what I have come to know and believe and understand is what is truth is that if you are caring about something enough, if you have a passion and a drive, that is what qualifies you to run for office. And it's whether or not you're willing to do the work to make it happen right. and risk rejection a few times um, along the way uh, that that will make you successful.
0: Well, let's talk about that, because I loved the way you you described your electoral runs for Congress as near wins. You know, you and I, they were, we, yeah, they were. <laughs> and, and you and I met in the green room at the the Democratic National Committee's Women's Leadership Forum, which was such a delightful experience. And there was a lot of celebrating of success there. And this Mm -hmm. year, especially because Emily's List candidates are crushing it from coast to coast. We hear a lot. Yes, they are. We hear a lot about (laughs) successes. We hear a lot about those who are winning races. And that's great. And I certainly want to hear more about that but we don't often hear about those near wins.
1: and Well, yeah, yeah, and like let's just put for one second, let's put a little bit of a gender lens on this too for a second because men have been winning and losing elections for centuries and you never hear anyone say, my goodness, all those men have lost elections for centuries. Well, you can't win or lose if you're not on the ballot. And a few months ago, we laughed in the office because there was actually a headline that said, if more women run for office, more women will lose. And we were like, yeah, because that's math. Yeah. Like that like, math well, is a thing that applies <laughs> into elections also. And so, yeah, of course. And that's the whole point, right? You, you have to be in the ring or or you don't even get a chance to play, right? You can't win an election if you're not on the ballot. Right. And so you have to be willing to risk rejection, which is why I keep coming back to if you care about something enough, you're willing to lose sometimes. It can't be why you do it. You can't, as you heard me say, I, I never... Woke up in the morning as a kid and said, I, I think I'm going to run for Congress. No way. I-, I never, never even knew that was available to me as an option. Yeah. And I think too oftentimes, particularly women sort of take things off their potential to-do lists mm-hmm. before they even get started. And I would argue putting yourself on the ballot is something you should definitely plan to do.
0: And I wanna go deeper there, Emily, because one of the questions that came up in our community that really inspired this interview came in from one of our community members, Sonia, who has been looking for a job, not running for office per se, but looking for a nine to five for quite some time. And she wrote into our community saying, This morning, I got a rejection email from a job I'd recently been interviewing for. I felt so confident that this was it. Every rejection is tougher than the last. How do you handle rejection during a lengthy job search and maintain a positive attitude? Sometimes I'm scared to get excited about a job because I don't think I can handle getting let down again. And so she's almost speaking directly to what you just said, that women internalize failure in such a personal way, how do you see candidates bouncing back from failure and from your own experience? How did you bounce back and, frankly, into this fantastic new job of yours? (laughs) It is
1: fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, so there's a few things. and I want to say first to Sonia and to anyone in your community who is struggling with rejection from a job or, or not finding the success that you have imagined for yourself is that, first of all, it's okay to be bummed about it, right? It, if if you weren't sad about it a little bit, it maybe meant it wasn't important to you enough. It, it really didn't mean something. You know, if you, whether you don't get a job or you lose an election and the next day you're like, I'm good, yeah. right? Then maybe it wasn't the right thing for you. It, it, so I, I first say we can't be so hard on ourselves. You got to give yourself permission to be, bummed out when things don't go your way. But then you have to give yourself permission to also get over it. Yeah. And, you know, I would say I learned that lesson from a very early age, uh, really from my parents. My I'm the oldest of three sisters. My dad is in the shoe business. He never went to college. My mom is a sign language interpreter and a teacher. And my dad, my family had to move several times when I was a kid. You know, we moved I lived in four states, lived in many houses and we had to move because my dad lost his job because the shoe business was tough because there was a recession in the late 80s and in the 90s. And my dad became a stay-at-home dad for a while. And he even started a handyman business for a while doing heating and cooling and air conditioning. And I will tell you what I learned from my dad is that every day you got to get up and do something to move it forward. That even if it's hard, even if that day, the one thing you do is get up and make two phone calls that you really need to make. And even if another day you make 10, maybe you apply for one job on another day, but every day you got to move it forward. And I will say I learned that and that has helped me throughout all ups and downs in my life and career, personal and professional, that it's sort of about that relentless forward progress. And I will admit, I I have friends that sometimes tell me that my sunshine is killing them <laughs> and I appreciate that and I I get it but they say it with love because you got to bring that sunshine yeah. to the table and so for me I watched my dad and my my mom wrestle with the ups and downs of jobs that were not always certain right as they had three kids and mortgage and trying to pay bills and that was hard and so I I learned that initial resilience from them yeah and as it played out for me with you know And I I, even when I was having successes, you, you have failures and rejections along the way. I, in 2010, thought after the election that I would be the 100th speaker of the Maine House. And instead, I became the first Democrat to be the minority leader in Maine in my entire lifetime because I just we thought we'd keep the majority. I'd get to be the 100th speaker. I was pretty sure I had the votes to do that. And. And I, I then lost, but then also won because I ended up being the leader. But it was not the job I wanted, nor was it the job that I thought I wanted. But it turned out it was the perfect job for me to help lead during a tough time. Yeah. And so when I got to the point of 2014, to more address your, your personal rejection question, I was running for Congress. I was a top-ranked candidate nationally. I was predicted to win. I had out-fundraised my opponent. To this day, I believe I outworked him. And a number and I definitely was better qualified a number of things go into any election and on election night at around 20 minutes of 2 in the morning I had to call and concede and I remember the next morning and I'd look like it's one thing you don't get a job and that's hard and you know maybe your friends know the people who but right this was on television statewide in Maine <laughs> like, it was a big election. And the next day I woke up and I'll never forget. I, I laid in bed. I had my eyes closed and I, I was awake, but I hadn't opened my eyes yet. And I was like, I, I don't know what this is going to feel like. And I opened my eyes and I remember I went in the bathroom, looked in the mirror and I was like, well, I, I still look like myself. (laughs) And I, I laughed. just like, okay, that's a start. And I went and had breakfast with friends who loved me and treated me the same as they had the day before. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. That's good, and I'll never forget there was a reporter in the lobby of the hotel where I had breakfast who you know stuck a microphone in my face, and I wasn't prepared. I hadn't prepped a talking point for this moment and 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 the reporter said, "Well, Emily, now that you've lost, what are you gonna do next and i i I, I remember looking in the camera and saying, "Well, I woke up yesterday caring about the state of Maine, and I woke up today caring about the same thing, so something to do with that, yeah. And I didn't know any that at that point if I would run again. I had no idea if that would be something I would do. I, I had no no clue. But in that moment is when I think I found that grounded place of I knew why I was in this fight and that it was worth risking losing an election to to move something forward. And sometimes you just gotta find another way. Um, and that's not easy. It's of course it's hard. Of course there are tears that get shed. Of course you you feel like, oh, is that is that rejection going to be permanently stuck to me? Right. You know, and and the truth is, when you have these setbacks, and I'm thinking about Sonia and her post, of, you know, to her question to your community about how do you allow yourself to get excited when you know it might not go your way, and 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 can you? How do you handle getting let down again? And again, I go back to it's okay to be bummed, yeah, but then you got to know how you recharge, right? Where do you get where do you get the pep talk you need? is it a person that you know who's your mentor is it a friend is it a is it a family member where do you get that that motivation is it a personal soundtrack you keep on your phone that's like the boy i need to pump myself up yeah. kind of soundtrack and i also want to say i learned this from my dad too that sometimes it's about saying okay what do i need if i need to make sure i can pay my bills then i have to be willing to take a job that maybe is not my dream job cuz that will enable me to have security To then get back to the job I want to have. Yes. And I think that's another thing. A lot of women are nervous about being imperfect, right, or not having the perfect career. But sometimes the perfect career is driving an Uber and walking dogs while you're looking for the perfect job because you want to make sure you can keep your apartment and pay your bills in the meantime. And there's nothing wrong with that. All of that is the real human experience, yeah. and, and it's okay. I call that a bridge job, and it's something I advocate for
0: all the time to get you between, you know, career move A and career move B. Sometimes we need to pay the bills. And I think what— Yeah, you do. Yeah. and It's important. What you're saying about perfectionism or this desire— that especially hits women really hard is borne out in the research too. There's an interesting study I came across from Claudia Golden at Harvard, uh, an economics professor who found that women studying economics at Harvard who were earning Bs in their introductory classes, half of them ditched economics as a major, whereas the men who were earning Bs pretty much all stuck with it. So early failure... On the road to success cannot dissuade us right learning from those experiences and parlaying them into the next opportunity to take action on your values is what i'm hearing from you because you rolled with those punches and stayed fixed and sort of focused on the impact you wanted to have and it sounds like staying focused on that impact is part of what led you to emily's list
1: Well, if you stay focused on what you on the kind of difference you want to make rather than the specific title you want to have, you will find a lot of satisfaction in a lot of work that maybe wasn't what you thought. Right. I know for me, after the 2016 election cycle, I I I run for Congress again and nearly won. I didn't. And then, you know, Donald Trump had also become the president. And I'm going to say that was not who I voted for in case there was any question about that. And I was pretty bummed and basically only watched the Food Network for like three and a half months after because yeah, that was what I could do. Same. <laughs> I, watched, I watched a lot of Chopped. It's a great show. Mine was I learned Cupcake a lot about Wars, cooking.
0: Also, a great option. I love that.
1: Yeah. No. I mean, and there and that's <laughs> something I did for self care was not watch the cable news for a while. I did read the paper, but I I didn't watch the cable news. Um and, but for me, um it was really about. Uh, you know, looking at my job options right after that election, they were all sort of in the same lane that I had been in for really 14 years. It was either to stay working in higher education in Maine, or to get some kind of job that would put me back in the state house, like in government affairs or lobbying, nonprofit work, and, and or doing a lot of fundraising. And I was a, a finalist for a few jobs. And right before Christmas that year, I, I said to my husband, I, I don't really want any of these jobs. These jobs are not... Gonna grow my skills. They're gonna keep me where I am. And, and that's not who I am. I need to grow and grow. So we did the math and figured I could, I pulled out of all those searches right before Christmas that I I had about eight weeks of cushion there. And I was talking with a friend who runs a tech company in Maine called History IT. And you should all check it out. It's great, historyIT.com. And they do digital archiving. It's a women-led tech company based in Maine and Chicago. I was at a holiday dinner telling her that I was kind of doing some soul searching about what I wanted to do because I really wanted to have a positive impact, but also expand my skill set. And a few days later, she called and said, hey, can I send you a job description? Nice. And I said, oh, for what? And she said, to be to work at my company. And I had never thought about working in a tech company. And instead, I became the chief strategy officer at History IT, doing business development and market expansion, which is actually just business words for what I'd been doing in politics for a very long time. (laughs) Um, And I have to say, like she was somebody that I turned to as a friend who really opened up a door for me About something I could do with my skills that I hadn't even imagined before. Your
0: party banter must be off the charts to be getting these uh, opportunities from derby parties and holiday parties. I think
1: the lesson is, like, you never know who can help you. Exactly. You never know. You never know. I had been going to the usual suspects for the months after the election. And it was when I allowed myself to open up and be a little bit vulnerable to somebody outside my normal network that I was looking for a new opportunity and here's where, here are the skills I bring to the table that allowed her to say, hey, I, I think I have a door to open with you. Mm-hmm. And I did that, and it was well, to your question about Emily's List, I was doing that work. I was loving that work when one day on a Wednesday in the end of March, a friend of mine who used to work at Emily's List called me and said, I just learned that the Emily's List executive director is leaving, and I think you should apply for that job. My exact quote to her was, you must be on drugs. <laughs> they don't hire people like me for that job. And she said, you're crazy. You have to apply. I said, they don't hire people like me. They've never had a candidate or an elected official in that role. That role is for political operatives. People have been campaign managers or campaign advisors and consultants. And she said, that's why they need you. I think you should apply. Wow. And And I'll tell you, here's a lesson about risking failure. I, I talked to my husband. I talked to my friends about it. And I remember um, saying to my friend, Corey, I said, I I guess I kind of feel like I would love this job. This would be a dream job for me. And if I apply for it, I don't have to tell anybody. So when I don't get it, nobody's going to really know but me and like you and my husband, like, you know, and I, I decided there was relatively little risk involved with me applying and not getting it because no one would really know. It wasn't like it was going to play out on statewide television like say, my last big rejection. you failed had, in right? such a public like,
0: arena, you're like, OK, this is a lot easier. This is not with cameras in well, your face the next day. It, it
1: kind of felt less risky. I was like, I'm not going to risk my reputation, you know. And I I wrote kind of a gutsy letter to Stephanie Sriak, the president, and said, I know you wouldn't normally think of me for this job, but here's why I think I'm perfect for it. And I think you should give me a chance. And And to her credit, she did. Yeah. And I got that interview, and I interviewed four times for the job before I got it. And when I did, it was the best. And I'll tell you, you know who had the best reaction of all was that woman. Her name's Kristen, who runs History IT. And Kristen and I had dinner. To, I was going to tell her the news. And this is your boss at the time who you're about to yeah. leave. I'd been working for her for about five months. Oh, my goodness. And I, I, was gonna, I thought I was going to let her down. Right. I thought she'd be mad at me. To her credit, she said, Emily, I knew I'd lose you at some point to a cool opportunity. She said, I didn't think it would be this soon, and I didn't think it would be this cool. (laughs) And I think that's the power of women's leadership, right? Kristen is a CEO. She's an entrepreneur. She's somebody who uh, gets that women in careers and in business, you got to take chances. You got to invest in each other. And you got to be there when somebody's down and you got to celebrate them when they move on to something bigger. And that was a real lesson for me in leadership from her. And then now to get a chance to work with Stephanie Shriak, the president of Emily's List, is just an unprecedented opportunity to learn from one of the best, not only women leaders, but just plain leaders in, in executive leadership in our country today.
0: What a lesson about the progress principle. Like you were speaking to, learning from your father, just pushing that forward and not being afraid to keep pushing, not allowing opportunities to pass you by,
1: even though you've been crushed in the past,
0: right? Yeah. And I
1: think about my parents, like my dad, you know, my dad became kind of a stay-at-home, work-from-home dad, and my mom took extra jobs Mm -hmm. to make sure that, you know, things didn't get missed and and bills could get paid. And I, I think about that partnership, that teamwork, and And how for them, it was like, okay, what's the right – we got to make sure the basics are taken care of so that then we can can make sure we can thrive as a family. And I think a lot of women are so worried about it being the perfect fit or the perfect job or the best move that sometimes you have to give yourself an opportunity to fail a little bit. Yeah. Because sometimes you fail into something you didn't even know that was a good opportunity for you. And you got to try new things. And you got to also know who the people are in your life, like I said, who – Know how to know how to get you back to believing in yourself when you're having a hard time. Yeah, and whether that's again your best friend or a family member or or whoever that person is in your life, your significant other, you need to have who who are the people that whether you have the job or not or you get it yeah. or not are going to love you the same. And they need to be there to help boost you when you have a hard day. We
0: call that having a courage community. And it's a huge part of how we're helping women support one another, right? Because we're all striving and hopefully
1: thriving together. That's the goal. Well, and we see this play out when we ask women to run for office, right? We see women who say, do I really have the right experience? Have I really done this right? And I can tell you, because I've recruited men and women to run for office, that the men never stop. If you ask a a woman to run for Congress— She'll say, oh, a lot of times we'll say, well, you know, I, I've i never served in the state legislature before. When you ask a man to run for Congress, he'll usually say, yeah, I might do that. You know, that's good. Or you ask a man to run for the state legislature and they say, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I can do that. Or Yeah, probably I'll do that next year, maybe a couple of years from now. You ask a woman if she'll run for Congress and she'll say, well, I, I haven't served in the state legislature. And that's not required
0: to run for Congress. And you
1: ask her to run for the state legislature and say, I haven't really done this work before.
0: I want to speak to that a little bit because there's something in the research known as stereotype threat that I think is really interesting and important to mention Mm -hmm. here in industries and in arenas, academic arenas and others, where there is a reputation that women might have a harder time. For instance, the very bogus stereotype that women aren't good at math
1: women. Yeah, that's definitely bogus.
0: Yeah, of course it's bogus. But the stereotype alone has been shown in the research to freak women out, to preoccupy some part of our brains, that while we're there trying to take a math test, if we're reminded of, if we're primed with a reminder of our gender before taking that test, we end up using some of our limited mental energy, worried about proving that stereotype true. And ironically, Mm -hmm. in in being preoccupied about that, we tend to perform less well. So there's there's this theory in the research, and it was backed by um, a Stanford sociology professor, Sherry Coral, who found that when women are being tested for some ability for which men are supposedly more naturally gifted or in the realm of politics historically had more access to— uh, You know, women believe they have to get a score of 89% to be successful, whereas men said they'd be happy with a 79% or better. So women get especially anxious about failing when it involves proving some negative stereotype about women true. I wonder if that plays in politics at all, because we know women in politics are still put under a microscope. We know that, you know, Hillary Clinton's scrunchie makes headlines instead of the content of her her speeches. So in this realm where there still are structural barriers or cards stacked against women, how can we persevere, stay focused on the issues, even when it feels like we're being pushed off this glass cliff, not to mention
1: pushing up on a glass ceiling? I will say that is why this particular moment in politics, I'm going to bring this back to Emily's list right now, is so important. Because what we have right now for women in politics is not just a movement, it's not a moment, it's not a wave. This is a sea change. And this year, with a record number of women running for Congress, a record number of women running for state legislatures, and hopefully, I'm going to knock on wood so hopefully you can hear me, (coughs) that a a record number of women winning in the fall, this is the kind of moment where we begin to eat away at that stereotype threat, that discounting, that imposter syndrome, by changing what the norm is. Because it is still an exception to have a woman In office. It is still an exception to have a woman of color holding a leadership position in office. And we need to make that the normal. And the only way we do that is by getting more women to run, getting more diverse women to run, and helping them together to win. And that's when we change the aspiration frame. That's when we change the trajectory for little girls and women across the country who will say, of course, women should be in politics. Women are in politics. That's what 2018 is about. It's that sea change moment. That's what Emily's List is doing by bringing our work of more than 30 years to help these women candidates be successful at the ballot box. And they can be the change. They can be the It can make the difference. And Preach, that's why Emily, it's here I, so exciting. I, I...
0: I'm over here like nodding my head so feverishly. I think it might fall off, but I love everything you're saying. And it reminds me of what Shonda Rhimes, of all people, said about her groundbreaking work in cable television, right? When Shonda Rhimes became the owner of Thursday Nights, right? With
1: her mm-hmm. shows on
0: television.
1: We love Shonda said, Land at Emily's List. We're big fans.
0: Yeah. I mean, who isn't, yeah, right? We're big fans. So go mm-hmm. shout out to Shonda Land. When she was applauded for bringing diverse characters into the mainstream, she said, you know, this is not anything special. I'm doing what I call normalizing. I'm normalizing Mm -hmm. TV to make it look a little bit more like real life in America. It's time to normalize Congress. It's time to normalize our state houses. It's time to make sure that our bodies, who are representing us, everyday citizens, private citizens like myself, I want my members of Congress, I want my members of the State House to be representing me in my everyday experience. And that should yes. be true for more yes.
1: Americans. So uh, I want I want Congress to look more like America, which means it's more than 50 percent women and way more diverse. Yeah, way less than it is white. Now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we and we can get there. And it, it really is something where, you know, we need to be again, we need to be willing to risk some losses in the short term for the long-term gain of changing the trajectory of women in politics, of changing the quality of leadership in our country. And that means sometimes you lose. That means not, unfortunately, I can say not all the candidates we've, we're going to support this fall will probably win. I mean, it'd be awesome if they (laughs) did, let's be clear, and you should actually help them send them money if you're listening to this. But but the definition of success starts with that many women running, because that means even more can win. Yes. And that's why I'm so appreciative to have the opportunity to talk with you, to share this. And I really hope everyone will check out emilieslist.org. Uh, all emilieslist.org is where you can find it and uh, more information about what we do, how we do it. And would love to be in touch with anybody who's listening. Definitely let us know when you're ready to run for office.
0: To learn more about Emily's List, head to emilieslist.org. And that's Emily with a Y, unlike me. <laughs> All right, now it's time for today's Boss Moves Moment of the Week.
1: Hi, this is Jenna from Columbus, Ohio, and after listening to Surviving a Toxic Workplace and the rest of the Boss Up podcast, I went to a meeting with my executive director of my company and had a really great conversation with her about what I want my department to do and the future of my department and where I see it going. And I really stood up for myself. And I'm really, really proud of myself for this week.
0: Awesome, boss, we are cheering you on. And thank you so much for calling in to share your come up story. Not only are you motivating me and inspiring me to keep doing this work, but you are inspiring countless others who are listening in today. Do you have a boss move to share or a career conundrum you want us to explore next? I want to hear from you. Call into the podcast hotline now at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. And that number, by the way, is always included in the show notes right there in your podcast listening app. All right, boss, what is your take on handling failure along your career come up? Are you striving to pursue an impact oriented, cause focused career or public office or a a career path in the public sector? What does that look like for you? And what are your thoughts on the record numbers of women running for office this year? I want to hear all about it on social media. Follow me at Emily Aries, that's Emily with an I-E this time, or at BossedUp O-R-G. Chat with me in the Bossed Up Courage community on Facebook or in the comment section of today's episode page, bossedup.org episode 32. In the meantime, keep Boston in pursuit of your purpose. And together, we'll lift as we climb. Let's face it. Bostonsto dot slash speak up.